Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Well, I do want to encourage you as you make your travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate link. So when you make your purchase following the link, part of your purchase price supports the great detectives of old time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, the original air date, July 21st, 1953, and the title is The Black Doll Matter. For your listening enjoyment, John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. Philip Shaw, Johnny. Oh, yes, Mr. Shaw. Our company holds a policy on Miss Judith Thompson. Uh, she was killed. How? Oh. Somebody shot her. You'll have to go to Los Angeles. I'll book space right away. Come on down to the office as soon as you can, and I'll give you the details. Shower and a shave, and I'm yours. We'll return to our program in a moment. But first, I'd like to say a few words about jamming. And I don't mean Mother's Preserve. During wartime... It has frequently been the practice of an enemy country to jam our radio communications. That is, to cut into our broadcasting with broadcasting of their own so that our radio messages cannot be received with any degree of clarity. There was a time when our civilian radio broadcasts were jammed too, unintentional though it was. As you can imagine, it was quite a mess, and still could be. Can you imagine what would happen today if there was no coordination among our many radio and TV stations? Or if the telephone companies didn't cooperate? When radio broadcasting first began in our country, each station chose its own call letters, power, and spot on the dial. It wasn't long before two or three stations would try to come in on the same spot, and the poor listener couldn't understand a thing he heard. So, to get things organized, the Federal Communications Commission was born. Licenses were issued to each station and to qualified operating engineers. The same thing now applies to TV stations. Today, a radio or TV station may request certain call letters, and if no one else has them, the call letters are issued. But power and the spot on the dial are restricted by laws of nature. And the FCC engineers don't have much choice in what they tell the station operator he can or cannot do. With the telephone and telegraph, however, the situation is different. The FCC makes sure the rates are fair both to the company and to the consumer, and that all of the independent companies work together so that someone in Japan or Germany, for example, can call someone else in New York with practically no delay or trouble. So the next time you pick up a stateside broadcast loud and clear or hear everything your family says to you over the telephone, just remember that you have the Federal Communications Commission to thank. Well, I'm 
submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office National All Risk Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Black Doll matter. Expense account item one, $189.95. Plane fare and incidentals to Los Angeles, California. I arrived at 10 o'clock the morning of the 12th and went directly to Hollywood, where I registered at the Wentworth Hotel. Then proceeded to Central Division Homicide and Lieutenant Brickford. Got a teletype this morning that you were coming, Doyle. Supposed to give you all the help I can. Well, I'll be glad to have it. Can you tell me something about the dead woman? Well, shot once with a thirty-eight in the chest. Killed between one and two. Night before last. Any suspect? Yeah, we've been checking on the people she knew. Talked to several of them. Couple, Mr. and Mrs. Lyon, a girlfriend, Miss June Fisher. She'd seen her during the day, but can't tell us very much. The Lions hadn't seen her for several days. They couldn't give us any reason why someone might kill her. We've got some more names we've got to run down. Boyfriend, uh, the, uh, uh, William Carnes. Works for Timken Aircraft and test pilot. Girlfriend says Carnes and the dead girl started seeing each other about two weeks ago, but, uh, she didn't believe it was anything particularly serious. She was killed in her apartment. Yes. Killer entered by a back door, ripped the screen, but wasn't robbery. Nothing was touched. Somebody just walked in and killed her. Yeah, that's the way it looks. Lab hasn't come up with anything that'll help so far. No prints. They got the bullet, but we need the gun. What did she do that night? Well, that's something we still got to find out. We are pretty sure she went out. There were some clothes on the chair, slacks, and the coat. Wouldn't wear the coat around the house. Mm-hmm. What about this boyfriend? I was going out to talk to him this morning. I wanted to check on him first. Pilot in the last war. Went to work for Timken right after he was discharged. Seemed to... Uh, seemed like a pretty solid citizen. A lot of citizens are pretty solid until they kill somebody. Yeah. Well, you want to run out the field with me? If you don't mind. Well, not a bit. Give me somebody to talk to. Twenty-five minutes later, we were driving through the gate at Timken Aircraft. As we passed the long, low line of gray buildings, I saw a plane sitting on the starting line. A bullet-shaped jet with stubby, swept-back wings. Inside the main building, we were shown into Mr. Rudolph Timken's big presidential office. Oh, come in, gentlemen. Which is Lieutenant Brickford? I am, sir. And this is Mr. Dollar. Ah, I'm pleased to know you. What can I do for you? Well, we'd like to talk to one of your pilots, Mr. Timken... William Carnes. Bill? Well, certainly, but I'm afraid you'll have to wait a while. He's just getting ready to take up the XR-200. Is that the jet I saw on the line? Yes, the beauty. Oh, thank you. We think it's the best. Hey, if you'd like to come out on the field, this test isn't security. The last two years we've been under wraps, but since we got the bugs out and the Army's given us a contract, uh, would you like to watch? Oh, sure would. Timken took us out in the field, and we watched the jet take off and climb toward the west. It circled, climbing till it was out of sight. We kept watching and waiting. A cool breeze was coming in from the ocean, and the sun was warm on our faces. Finally, we saw it. Here he comes. Can't even hear him. He's traveling faster than sound. But do you fly, Mr. Dollar? Only when I've got an expense account. How fast would you say he's going? <laughs> You'd be very surprised, Lieutenant. Even the Army was. <laughs> 
to being a cop. <laughs> He's in his turn now. Yeah. Uh, come in across field. He's even lower. Here he is. field until William Carnes landed the plane. Then we went back to Timken's office. The president of Timken Aircraft gave orders for Carnes to report as soon as he could. And about 20 minutes later, the young pilot was shown in. Timken introduced us and then left. What can I do for you, Lieutenant? Just a few questions. Do you know a Miss Judith Thompson? Yeah, what's wrong? She's dead. Somebody killed her. Killed her? Don't you read the papers, Bill? Yeah, well, usually, but uh, I've been so busy the last couple of days. She was killed night before last. What did you do night before last? Stayed home. Any way of proving that? Well, no, I, I live alone. I just stayed in. You don't think I killed her? You've known her for about two weeks, haven't you? Yeah, I guess it's been about two weeks. She was a nice kid, awfully nice kid. Sorry about it. And you stayed home the night of the 10th? That's right. All night? Well, yeah. you'll find out sooner or later. No. I was with her. I took her out the night of the tent, and I knew she'd been killed. But look, honest, I had nothing to do with it. Why'd you lie about it? Because I'm married. No, we're not living together. We're separated. My wife's living in Chicago now with her folks. Always kind of hoped we'd get back together, but if I got mixed up in a killing... You got mixed up the night you took Judith Thompson out? Look, I was lonesome. Judy was a pretty kid. I saw her about six times in two weeks. It helped. But I'm in love with my wife. I've always been in love with her. You can understand it, can't you? Sure. The night of the 10th, where did you and Judy go? To the beach. Went down on the pier and played the concessions. When did you get home? Mm, I don't know. I guess about 11.30 or so. Yeah, somewhere about that time, 11.30 or 12. You go right home? Yeah, right home. That's true. Anything happened during the evening? Anything uh, unusual? Unusual? Anybody follow you? No. And Judy seemed nervous or anything? No, she was fine. She didn't act nervous or anything. <laughs> okay. Is that all? Yeah, for now. We'll talk to you again. All right, but I sure wish you wouldn't tell the papers. Tell the papers? Well, about me. Being the one who took her out that night. Would finish me for good with my wife. I wouldn't have a chance. Her family doesn't like me as it is. Why did you and your wife split up? My job. I don't really blame her. It's tough for a woman to sit around the house when her old man is flying new stuff. What am I going to do? I guess I love flying about as much as I do my wife. Just keep hoping she'll understand and... I don't know. It's a mess. Well, we'll see you later. Okay, Lieutenant. Nice meeting you, Mr. Dollar. Nice meeting you. and located Timken. We thanked him for his cooperation, then went out to the car. We were about to drive away when Bill Carnes ran out of the building. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, 
just thought of something. Yeah? What is it? Well, I, I doubt if it means anything. In fact, I forgot all about it until just a minute ago. Something about the other night? Yeah. When we were down on the pier on the pike, you know, playing the concessions, I down there had a fight. Fight? Yeah, at the shooting gallery. I spent about $2 knocking down pipes and winning coupons. When I got done, Judy wanted one of the draws, you know, the plaster prizes. Yeah. This was a big black one, about this big. And the guy wouldn't give it to me. You got in a fight with him? Oh, darn near. I won enough coupons for the doll, but he said it wasn't a prize. And I said, what have you got it up on the shelf for? Judy wanted it, so I finally made him give it to me. Well, he had to fight him for it. It wasn't so much the doll, it was the principle. I hate to be had like that. Uh-huh. Well, I know it isn't much, but it was kind of strange. But of course, I don't know what it could have to do with Judy. Well, you never know. Um... Did she take the doll home with her? Oh, yeah, sure. And a lot of other things we want. You know, the kind of junk. Mm-hmm. Okay, Bill. Thanks a lot. Sure. See you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So long. Mm, that's funny. About the fight? Yeah. Said she took the doll home with her. Why? Wasn't it in the apartment? No. All the other junk from the pier was. I remember, scattered all over the dresser. Scattered? Yeah. But no big black doll. You were right. About what? That is funny. Many great men have attained the highest office in our land, the Presidency of the United States. Can you guess the name of this man? According to historians, no other single man ever did as much for a country as this president did for the United States. After a brilliant military career, he was called from retirement to preside at a federal convention in Philadelphia where he was unanimously chosen president. He was also unanimously re-elected for a second term, but refused to run for a third. Although a Federalist, he named a man from another party, Thomas Jefferson, as Secretary of State. If you don't have his name by now, here are two more clues. During his presidency, the cotton gin was invented, and the first census was taken. Who was he? George Washington, first President of the United States. His life is part of your American heritage. And now with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Brickford drove across town to the dead girl's apartment just off Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. A uniformed cop was still staked out at the door. He gave Brickford a casual salute as we let ourselves in. Yeah? Buddy was here. Shot from where? Uh, from over here. In position of the body and wound puts the killer somewhere in, um, in this area here. Which way is the back door? 
uh, through there. And um, here's the stuff on the dresser. Uh-huh. Everything you'd win at an amusement fair? Everything but a big black doll. Why would a plaster doll be so important? I couldn't even guess. Well, it's the only lead you've got so far. You want to check it, I suppose. Concessions on the pier open around six. Got any plans for this evening? I'm with you. Let's go talk to Bill Carnes again. I think it'd be a good idea if he came along with us tonight. We left the dead girl's apartment and drove back across town to Bill Carnes' home near the Timken Aircraft Factory. Bill met us at the door and showed us into an attractive living room. To find out any more about... Oh, about Judy? Not yet. We'd like to know some more about your argument as a peer. Well, I, I, I told you just about everything. It started over the doll. That's right. You're sure Judy had the doll with her when she went home? Well, yeah, I'm positive. So I take it into the house, had her arms full of that stuff we want. The doll was the biggest of the bunch. Mm. You, uh, you can't remember anything unusual about the doll? Unusual? No. No, just a big black doll about, about this big, holding an ashtray. You'd know this guy again? Oh, sure, sure I'd know him. He runs a concession. At least he was the, the only one there. Well, uh, can you go down with us tonight? To the pier? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Do you think the argument had something to do with Judy getting killed? We don't know. But that black doll wasn't in her apartment. It wasn't. But I saw her take it in with her. Well, it looks like somebody else took it out. Expense account item two, $14.55. Dinner for Brickford, Carnes, and myself. A short drive later, we pulled into the big parking lot on the amusement pier. As we got out of the car, the roller coaster reached the top of the first dip high above us and started down. the parking lot and walked out of the pier. Well, I haven't been down here in a long time. Where's the shooting gallery? We're down at the other end. We walked the length of the pier until we reached the shooting gallery where Bill had won the black doll. All right, step up and try your luck. The man running the concession was in his late 40s. Short, stocky, and bald. We stopped a few yards away. Come on, boys. Let's see what kind of shots you all. Big shots or little shots? <laughs> That's the man? No, he's not the one. All right, come on, boys. Try your luck. There's six shots for a quarter. What can we win? Anything on the shelf. On the top shelf, one just like it. Mm. How about the big black doll? Sure, but you got to hit all the clay pipes. Well, go ahead, darling. Aren't you going to try it? If you don't hit them all. Okay. Hey, you are. Hey, hey, that's good shooting. You must have been in the army or something. You really knocked them down. Say, now, boys, how about another round? 
No, I'll just take the dolls. Sure. How about you boys not going to let him show you up now, are you? <laughs> you already did. Now, the round and you can win a cop and a cigarette. Just the dolls. Okay. Uh, there you are. The way you shoot, you could win anything I got here. Uh, say, um, you the only man who runs this place? Yeah, yeah, why? You weren't running it three nights ago. Oh, huh? what do you mean? A taller guy, younger than you, nasty disposition. He was here then. Oh, oh, you mean Charlie. If that's his name. Yeah, he just worked for me. Where is he? Why, uh, what's with the examination? We just want to know where he is. Oh, are you a cop? Why? Well, you act like a cop. You win yourself a dolly. Where is he? Uh, I don't know. He quit. When did he quit? Last night. What's his full name? Charlie Gilbert. Where can we find him? I don't know. He worked for you and you don't know where he lives? That's right. I gave him a job one night. Didn't ask him where he lived. Why did he quit? How do I know? He just quit. Said he was through and took his pay. Ain't nothing illegal about that, is there? You ever been arrested? Me? You. No. I want you to tell me everything you know about Charlie Gilbert. Rick and I questioned and cross-questioned the manager of the shooting gallery. He said his name was Virgil Wellman, that he'd never seen Charlie Gilbert till the night he'd hired him three weeks before. He knew very little about the man, but readily admitted Gilbert had a bad temper. He swore he didn't know where Gilbert lived or what he did in his spare time. Well, we left the pier and drove Bill home. The lieutenant dropped me off at my hotel. Oh, thanks. And thanks for the dinner. What happens now? Well, get some sleep and try to find Gilbert. Well, you got a pretty good description. Yeah. I'll put out an APB and check the mugs. Just might have a record. I'm going to check on that guy at the shooting gallery, too. I think I've seen that face somewhere. What are you going to do with the doll? Have the lab look it over. Bet you don't find anything. Then I'll give it back to you. You want it. Gee, thanks. It's just what I always wanted. <laughs> Good night. Good night. went to my room, climbed into bed, and tried to put the puzzle together. After a half dozen cigarettes, I gave up and turned off the light. I felt as though I'd hardly fallen asleep. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Johnny Dollar. Yeah, this is Brickford. Oh, hi. Hey, what time is it? Goodbye. Hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Something important. Okay. Let me wake up. Well, this will wake you up. About an hour ago, they hauled a man out of the ocean. Been shot twice. About 36 hours. Who is he? I don't know. No identification. Nothing in our file on his prints. He was sent for a kickback from Washington. Why is this corpse so important? Because he fits the description Carnes and Wellman gave us. Gilbert? Yeah. And I went through the mugs and came up with an identification on the guy who was running the shooting gallery tonight. I know I've seen him before. Who is he? Right name's Virgil Shelton. Wellman's an alias. Got a narcotics record. Served five years. Only been out for a couple of months. 
Sounds interesting. How about the dead man you found in the ocean? Carnes coming in to make an identification? Already sent for him. You coming down? Right away. Expense account item three, $2.60, cab fare to the city hall, where I went directly to Homicide and Lieutenant Brickford. Carnes had not yet arrived, so Brickford showed me the mug and record on the shooting gallery owner, then took me down to the morgue. The man they'd pulled out of the sea certainly fitted the description of Gilbert. Shortly afterward, Carnes was shown in to make the identification. Yeah. That Gilbert? That's the man I had the argument with. You sure? Yeah. I'm sure. Lieutenant, you said he'd been dead about 36 hours. Mm-hmm. Close. And he was killed shortly after the girl was. Yeah. And here's the kickback we were waiting for, Dollar. Prince on the dead men identify him as Frank Sidney, alias Charles Sidney, alias Sidney Gilbert. Alias Charles Gilbert. Yeah. FBI wants him, narcotics friend. Well, it sure gives him something in common with the guy at the shooting gallery tonight. Let's take another ride down to that pier. first positive connection. Both of the men who worked at the shooting gallery had federal records and were wanted on narcotics reps. Now all we had to find out is why the girl was killed, who did it, and how did the missing black doll figure. Brickford told Sergeant Hardy to take Carnes home. Then we went down in the garage and climbed into the lieutenant's car. Twenty-five minutes later, we were back at the amusement pier. The concessions were all closed. The entire pier was dark except for a few work lights at the entrance. We walked to the shooting gallery and stopped. It could be a front. Yeah, it could. The lab find out anything about the doll? No, no thing. Well, remind me to give it to you. Yeah, I'll tie a string around my finger. And <laughs> yeah, let's take a look around back. You know, I got a hunch. The doll? Yeah, probably the same one you've got. Suppose the doll Carnes had the argument about was supposed to be picked up by a particular party, expected about the time Carnes arrived. Yeah. That doll you won tonight's hollow. Big space. Could hold a couple of bindles. Nice way to pass the stuff, huh? I'll hold it. Both coming in at the end of the pier. Okay, hand it up. I'll take it. Okay. 
Okay. Now let's get out of here. We got to be in Fresno by seven. Hold it right there. What the? Look out! You okay? Yeah. Oh, this one's dead. Uh, Virgil's still with us. Yeah. Take his gun for a second. I want to look in that box. Yeah. You got a match? Yeah, right here. Well, looky here. Dolls. Big black dolls. And look what's inside. Mr. Dollar, looks like we've just cracked a king-size narcotics ring. Sure looks that way, Lieutenant. Virgil Wellman lived long enough to tell us the whole thing. Once a week, one of the big black dolls was passed to a pickup. The night Carnes had the argument was one of those times. Gilbert knew he couldn't take a chance on a fight that would bring the police, so he gave Carnes the doll, closed the shooting gallery, and followed. Judith Thompson surprised him in the act of stealing the doll, and he had to kill her. Virgil Wellman knew Carnes would be able to identify Gilbert, and with a murder, the police would be sure to investigate. So he killed Gilbert and dumped him off the pier. Expense account items four, five, and six. Two hundred and sixty dollars and fifty cents. Hotel bill, breakfast, and plane fare back to Hartford. Lieutenant Brickford drove me to the airport, thanked me, and gave me the big black doll I'd won at the shooting gallery. It looks awful, but it makes a fair ashtray. Expense account total. $467.60. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Welcome back. Well, this one definitely had a big uh, dragnet vibe to it in the way it approached the cases. Even that part where they were watching the test flight. It didn't really have anything to do with the case, but it was just something that they observed. You know, it was very much the type of thing that, uh, in terms of style, that uh, they would have gotten from Dragnet. The pilot's participation was really critical to being able to catch the criminals. Of course, it also does illustrate the problem with uh, conditional cooperation with the police that many people have. It'll often be shown on many programs where someone will cooperate with the police, provided they don't go to the papers and publicize their private business. Usually this works out well. It's like when a reporter gets information off the record. They cannot quote the source, but if they can independently verify the information from someone else, they can report it. The problem in this case is that the pilot is the direct witness who uh, participated in the victim uh, getting the black doll in the first place. And really is probably the only one that can verify she even went to 
the show at all. So if this comes to trial, the pilot becomes a key witness. And that's bad news for his efforts to save his marriage. The good news for the pilot is there's no reason for this case to have any particular notoriety in the press. Although, who knows, if it's a slow news week, it might get more coverage than it might normally get. Would his testimony even make the newspaper? Would anyone his wife happened to know read the paper and let her know about it? Would they even make the connection? A lot of variables that he can't control, including the possibility that the case just doesn't go to trial. A guy like this in a state that had the death penalty might be open to making a deal. And if the prosecutor thought that the might be willing to cooperate with other drug dealers and prosecuting them, of course suppliers, then that might weigh in the decision. Or if the prosecutor was just aware that there was a risk of his own witness getting impeached. Regardless, at this point, how much information gets into the news and how big a role he's going to play in any potential trial is essentially out of the pilot's hands. But lest anyone think that the smart thing to do was not to cooperate, since they saw all of the other stuff other than the black doll there, they probably could figure out where she went. And then if they spent a few days or weeks investigating and found out he took her, then he would be going through the same thing, except he would be under suspicion for murder for a day or two, and have some very unpleasant conversations. So while the episode didn't care much about this, I really was kind of curious about it. All right, well now we turn to our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Bruce, Patreon supporter since April 2019, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Bruce. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. Next Friday, Johnny Dollar will itemize another action-packed expense account. But come back tomorrow and join us for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... It is 6 a.m., June 23, 1947. There is only one prisoner in the Live Oak County Jail. He is John Elliott Bascom, a notorious and dangerous gunman. In the anteroom connecting the jail with the sheriff's office, Deputy George Keaton dozes, snoring at the end of a long and uneventful night's duty. Miss George! Miss George! Oh. Oh. Hello, Uncle Ben. You still here? Yes, sir. Yeah, but that prosecutor's office down the hall was powerful dirty. About ready to go along home now as soon as I hang up my mouth, but I brewed this here coffee for you. Coffee? Put it here. Oh. <laughs> She's hot, Jonah. Uh, coffee. Uncle Ben, you're an angel. <laughs> Don't know about that, Miss Jones. Ain't nobody else feed my wing. <laughs> uh, just put the pot and cup in my closet when you're through. I'll take care of when I come on tonight. Sure thing, Uncle Ben. Yes, sir. Hey, 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 Jailer! What's the matter with you now, Bascom? Take a look! The cell floor's wet! 
Water's running all over. This jail may have all the comforts of home, but I wouldn't give you much for your blood. Man, this building's so old, it's a wonder it doesn't all come apart. Valve must have stuck oh, yeah. again. Water all over the floor. All right, all Water right. I'll take a easy. What a crummy job. You keep back, Bascom. Don't worry. You can do the waiting. I'm not putting my feet down in that water. Stay there in your bunk. I'll see what's the matter. Uh, let's see what's wrong with it. Why, you... Your undershirt's stuffed in the drain. Yeah. Oh, give me a gun. No, no. Give me a gun. No, I'm going Get away from that gun cabinet. hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives, and follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.